Pleasure to introduce Dean Bowie, our CEO and founder of Green Blue Urban, here with us this morning. Hello, Dean. Hello, Howard. How are you? Yes, I'm fine. I was Good. Just thinking this morning of everybody that works here, I've probably known mm. you longer than anybody except your brother Paul. You probably have. You go back a long way with Green Blue and with myself as well. Yes, yeah, yes, that's yes. true. So at least 47 years, I think, I've known you, so that's quite a long time. 47, yeah. I'm not going to dispute that. No. But we've come a long way. Green Blue Urban. That's come a long way from its inception in 92. Earlier on, we I remember DB Landscapes. That was your previous business, wasn't it? When you were actually on your own, started from nothing, started with maintenance of gardens, moving on to larger landscape projects. Yeah, that's correct. I suppose it would have been mid to late 1980s. Um, I was 17, 18, around that sort of time, um, and I needed work. I'd saved up just enough to buy a lawnmower and a strimmer and it went from there really and then I enrolled in Plumpton College to learn a bit about the industry and studied there for about three years alongside building up a small landscape contracting business so you're right that's where it all started actually. So this is a, a truly a business that started from nothing and that I'd like to congratulate you from that because there's very few that have done that I mean people have helped you along the way but you didn't start off with nobody could accuse you of having a silver spoon in your mouth from starting off it's been hard graft. Like yeah. Four o'clock mornings in the summer when you were out cutting lawns, and yes, we remember those days. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't dispute. There was quite a lot of hard work along the way, and but I, you're right. I had a lot of help. There were friends that helped me, and I think that's one thing I would say. Looking back, is a sense of gratitude that there were persons who were prepared to help me, and thankfully, I wasn't so foolish as not to listen to them and actually act on what they said and if I look back at the business there were key moments when I got really good advice and I'm very very thankful for it so yes there's a lot of hard work as well um, the early mornings I'm not quite so good at them nowadays but you're looking back you're glad you did them you're right and really you began to realize wasn't, you weren't in your, your mid-twenties or so you realized that landscape was hard hard work and it was going to be hard for you to carry on doing that all your life so you really wanted to get into something that gave you an opportunity to improve a market but more than that to move you out of this just the labour and contracting side was that an overnight inspiration or that's something that gradually built on no I wouldn't say it was overnight I, I guess um, from about 1989 onwards I was looking for ideas I mean the landscape contracting I enjoyed it and I enjoyed you know seeing a site well maintained and planting trees planting trees was one of my best things I really did enjoy that because you got instant impact and dimension on the landscape scheme and I enjoyed that but there were a lot of challenges with it and also I kind of I guess my own personal situation was evolving getting married having a family and thinking well enjoying this work there'll come a time when I'm not you know able to do it as I am now what about looking ahead and finding something we can sort of buy and sell? And so, yes, some excellent advice at the time to get into that kind of thing. And seeing the challenges that were trees, trees were having to establish um, in the urban landscape led to the first idea. And that was the Root Rain Metro. Now, I remember you showing your sketches to me on a ring-bound pad and saying, what do you think? And I remember thinking, 
I don't really know anything about this, but you asked a lot of people in the industry what they thought about it. It wasn't all positive, was it? Some, no. Some thought it was a bit of a, yeah. a wild bet. That's true. No, not everybody thought it was a, a great idea, the, the Route Rain Metro. I, I wrote to a number of people I knew in the industry and put together a questionnaire at that time. It was very, I look back and it, you have to have a bit of a laugh because it was very home done. You know, typed out list of questions, tick box, um, yes or no. About, I would say half of them did respond. And of that half that did respond, probably they were a mix, 50-50 positive, saying, yeah, I think it could work. Some saying, no, people will never use it. And um, so there came a point when I had to make a decision, was I going to run with the Routeway Metro? Was I going to give it a try? Because it did involve investment. You had injection mould tooling and so on. And I looked at it and I said, if, if I never do it, I'll probably regret it because I won't have never known. Even if it never gets going, at least I know I've given it my best shot. And the investment, well, we'll put it to experience if it doesn't work. But it's interesting that that product really went. And even today, we're using those products. And that same Root Brain Metro really has changed the whole idea of urban planting. But it wasn't only urban planting you had in mind when you did that. It was really trees, even in soft areas. How do you get water efficiently to the roots without wasting it? Correct. Which is still an issue. Yeah. Our, our supplies of potable water are running low. Yeah. As we get more people dependent on our, on our potable water sources, it's ridiculous that we're still using treated <coughs> water just to water trees. So it's really important that we still think about that, yeah. not wasting water. Yeah. Now that idea, there are a lot of copies that come out into the mm. marketplace. We know that when you have a good idea, somebody will copy it. But that idea of putting water where it's needed, that was pretty that was pretty innovative at the time and, and there was a bit of pushback wasn't there you tried to go to wholesalers and they say that it wasn't any worth it wasn't worth it until it was specified yeah and then specifiers said well they wouldn't specify until they had somewhere to supply it is that how it worked it was a bit like that yes yeah. so we had to push the boat out a bit with marketing ourselves and selling it um, the concept and idea directly to the landscape architects um, once the market saw it getting specified out there and people tried it out and realized what well, actually you know this is a very simple concept and it works it, it gets water deeply into the root zone of a tree then it, it caught on quite quickly and word went round and we saw it more and more specified and at that point the wholesalers became more interested but of course by then we'd set up a certain amount of distribution directly we had accounts with the, the bigger landscape contractors so for us it made sense to keep very close to the market at that stage but you're right it wasn't just for trees in urban space. It was for trees in soft landscape as well at that time. Both were having a challenge in that first critical two or three years, um, getting water deep enough in, into the root ball to do any good. Into those emerging fibrous roots which yeah. really need that, that, that water. Yeah. And, and by then have you set up a large manufacturing plant or was this something that you started small? <laughs> no, very much on the side of the house this was. Yeah, the, I suppose I had an office at my, in my dad's place, um, a few square metres there, and then I had the garage on the side of my house in St Leonard's, which was just enough to store some bulk coils of pipe, some boxes of brackets, a heater box to soften the pipe so we could put the, the pipe into the brackets. And I continued my landscaping business while it was getting going. I would be cutting grass by day and assembling tree waters by night. That's how primitive it was, I'm afraid. And then a carrier would come and pick up the products each day and deliver them. 
Do you remember where your first order of root range went out to? I think the very first order went to Hereford Borough Council, funnily enough. I don't, I don't know where, which site. There was, I think it was 55 Root Rain Metro RR2s from, from memory. And that, that was a real epic that's moment. A real, yeah. That's a real forward movement. Yeah. And then you had a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment, a bit of a setback when the company that manufactured the plant no longer made it for you in, uh, in a perforated form, is that right? Yes, that was a few years down the line. Um, we'd actually moved into our first premises then, um, proper premises, I mean, not a garage by the side of the house. And yes, the, there was only one machine in the UK or the Europe, as far as I could ascertain, that would make 35 mil diameter perforated land drain pipe type pipe. And so we were stuck and they literally gave very little, almost no notice. So I, I bought every coil in the country. I went around all the wholesalers and bought up every coil. So I had a big pile of pipe, which gave me the time to develop a, our own specific bespoke machine to um, perforate and drill pipe. Cause I found a supplier who could make it unperforated because that's no good for trees. You have to, you have to have the holes to get the water, let the water out. But we still see people putting just a coil of land drain around and into a tree pit and around it. But tell me, just explain why that doesn't really work. Well, the challenge is a lot of them just put a, a lump, a, a length of pipe down into the base of the tree pit, and of course the water bypasses the root ball. Where root rain was innovative was that it, it allowed you to water on the shoulder of the root ball, so it was running in a loop parallel to the surface and the water was delivered on the shoulder of the root ball so that the water would go down through the root ball. Whereas just putting a length of pipe down, unless you put a T-junction on it and put another loop on that, you were, the water was largely bypassing the, the root ball. And in that first year, when the roots hadn't got out of the root ball, that, that was bad. It wasn't working. No. That's very interesting. Of course, it allows rodent damage and get rubbish yes. and stuff in there. Yeah, and it looks, looks very untidy. And for landscape architects, some of the major companies to have invested in a really prestigious landscape scheme and see bits of sort of yellow pipe or whatever sticking out by trees, they don't like it. Of course they don't. It detracts from the aesthetics. So how do you think that Green Urban has become the market leader, certainly in the UK? It's something I often come up against. People would say, you are just way ahead of everywhere else. So how do you think you've achieved that? <laughs> what in your leadership has led to this, do you think? I couldn't claim much, Howard, as you know, but I think one strength we have, and this goes through the team at Green Blue, is that we listen. We listen very, very carefully um, to what our market's telling us. And that goes right back to when it was just myself, I guess. We sent out the tree waterers and then we listened to how people were getting on with them. We listened to the next challenge. And that's how we moved into root management products, because People were telling us, you know, your tree waters are great. Um, they're helping us to establish the trees, but we've got a challenge as to where the roots are going next, pushing up paving and creating problems. So I guess if there's a, a reason why Green Blue has got to where it's got, it's been that ability to listen, but also to move quickly in developing solutions, innovative solutions to help trees. Because I think if you're passionate about something, if you really care about trees, in your heart, you want to do something for them. So if you're, the industry is telling you what to do, that's, that's brilliant. That's the industry leading the business forward in a sense. That's really interesting because even that, what you referred to early on as a, just a simple typed out mm. questionnaire, that's really market research mm. and then reacting to that in innovation. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting that the two sides listening and then answering mm. 
to what the market's looking for. And how do you see that developing now? We've got this huge range of different solutions that suit a lot of green infrastructure in our urban spaces. What do you think the next big thing in terms of green infrastructure is that, that, you, that you're keeping an eye on? That's a very interesting question and I guess it's not an easy one for me to answer because what we've done strategically in the company is address one by one the key principles of urban tree health and you might say we've got a complete system now so the big breakthrough moments the threshold moments I'm not saying they've gone but they're less obvious so we have to work at the whole system how making it work together more and holistic design urban space design how trees become a multi-role functioning asset in an urban environment so the the breakthroughs will be more sm smaller breakthroughs as i see them smaller milestones but helping us making that pathway that journey to create sustainable urban spa space much more achievable much more easily taking the friction out of that journey for the landscape professional the architect the developer and the contractor and, and just benefiting so many people. So you, you'll see air cleaning components coming in. You're seeing more intelligent use of stormwater. You're seeing trees benefit alongside that. And of course, we have that balance all the time. Tree health, which is very much at the core of what we do. We're, we're gonna continue to be a tree-centric company. That, that's in the, the vision of the business. I don't see that ever changing, but I do see us developing more in the holistic side of urban space design, which is why you see more different products coming alongside to help us. So you see green infrastructure being understood more as multifunctional rather than just aesthetic. Yes. And, and then being valued in that way. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. So over the 30 years that <coughs> Green Blue Herb or previously Green Leaf has been in existence, what do you think the biggest changes you've seen in the market are? I think Probably the biggest change I've seen external to Green Blue is, is an understanding of what trees do for an urban environment. In the early days, back in when I was getting into the industry, they were very much an aesthetic thing. The tree people understood that they did things. But now with the current concern publicly about climate, you're seeing people waking up to the fact that you know, trees really have, they do far more than just look good. Uh, and we used to sort of joke about the frozen peas on the landscape drawings. You know, quite easy to do, to put trees on a drawing. Much more challenging to get them to an urban environment. But I think what we've seen out, you know, externally is an awakening, really. That, yes, we want trees in our urban space. If you try, think for Howard for one minute, try and imagine a city like London without its trees. You wouldn't, nobody would want to live there. It'd be awful. And I think there's the realisation that if we want trees to reach maturity in our urban areas, we will have to invest appropriately to make that happen. And that's probably the biggest change I've seen in the last generation, really. The understanding of, yes. of, of investment leading to an asset. Yes, a long-term asset, long which, asset which benefits untold numbers in our communities. I think that's really interesting. And what we found over the last 22 years is that this it's investment below ground yes. particularly it's not necessarily just paying more for the tree in the first place it's not necessarily paying more for a very smartly that's massively involved tree protection above ground it is that soil so tell us a bit where that idea came from you weren't even at home were you in this when this light bulb moment came 
No, I was um, at one of our distributors in Denmark, actually, when we were working with local authorities over there introducing route management. Uh, and they raised it, a very logical question, you know, okay, so you can manage the routes away from the surface so that we don't get surface root heave, but where do they go then? Because the ground conditions beneath the route management are so compacted, the roots won't break out, they'll just be a pot plant. I guess that led to the, if, if you like call it a eureka moment, is, well actually we've got another product which looks after uncompacted soil for grass. If we scale that up, we, we could have a product which looks after the soil for tree roots. And that was where the root, first root cell came in. And uncompacted soil, as, as we now know, there's nothing to compare with it. There's actually, there, are, there are urban tree planting materials, but there's nothing to compare with uncompacted soil for tree friendliness. And, and that simple innovation, <coughs> Eureka moment, that has practically changed tree planting across the world. And you've mentioned Denmark, you've been to a number of different countries in Scandinavia, you helped them set up that distributorship there, you've done the same in Germany, we had the office in Spain. What's, what's the most interesting country you've been to in, in terms of tree planting around the world? Um, as far as tree planting is concerned, I think Scandinavia is probably the one where I've learnt the most. Um, the, our interaction with uh, Milford in, in Denmark and the experience that they are having and the, if you like, the trials there were with various rock soil mixes and all that kind of thing. That, that, that's interesting. I love, love going and seeing different methodologies and how they work or how they don't work because that all feeds into our development process. And, and that development <coughs> process isn't just something we keep close to our chest, is it? It's, it's been part of your ethos to educate, yeah. get out there, to teach the next generation of tree planters what we've learned so yeah. we don't continue making the mistakes of the past. Say something about that. You've been teaching a lecture at universities for a number of years to landscape students. Tell us how your enthusiasm for the next generation. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, it's brilliant if you get that opportunity, isn't it? You get invited to go to a university or a college to, to share your knowledge. I think this is about sharing knowledge for the benefit of everybody. Uh, because it's not just a selfish commercial advantage. We're trying to spread a methodology and a way of planting trees which is going to benefit far wider than we could ever reach. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I have no <laughs> qualms about sharing that. Um, we might have commercial information within Greenblue that we, we keep, every business does, to be a commercial success. But the actual science and methodology, the methods we use, the research, we share it very, very quickly, as quickly as we can, with the open market, if you know the wider market, because it's important. It's important for our urban communities that we do that, because occasionally something is introduced in the tree planting world, and with hindsight, you can see it was a wasted generation of tree planting. Because it, it and I don't want to mention the methodologies by name, but we, we see this sometimes there's, a, this is the greatest new idea, let's try it. And unfortunately, it's a few years before we see that it doesn't work quite as well as we wanted it to and that trees are getting exhausted. And you've missed an opportunity, really. So I think it's very important for us to share our knowledge. And what we're selling here, or what we're speaking about, we're, we're simply harnessing the power, if you like, of soil and the actual properties of soil, a good quality topsoil, we're harnessing that and bringing it into an urban environment. It's a very logical process. So in one sense, we've got a product that's proven, but it's the way in which we incorporate that in the urban space, which is innovative, if you like. 
I think that's, that's really interesting. And, and do you still find resistance to the idea of uncompacted soil? People saying, I've done it this way for years, why should I change? You do get some of that, but I, it's quite, actually quite rare now. Um, and sometimes you can plant a tree in a situation and it, it thrives and you've perhaps done a minimal amount below ground. But every situation is going to be different. You don't get uniformity. Um, the tree might be able to exploit a, a gap somewhere and get through into a front garden nearby and that tree will do well. The next one down the road when you plant you don't do anything and it will fail. Um, and it is quite distressing actually. We've got some trees around the corner from where I am now and they were planted last season. Nobody's looking after them. They're just failing. I can watch them dying and it's, I'm nearly harnessing up our boughs when going to water them myself. And, and, and that's really what we're saying is we're, that we're looking for long-term tree canopy. Mm. And this is really what led to the Arbor Advanced Tree Warranty. That if we can get trees for 15 years guaranteed, why can't everybody do it? We're not using anything um, particularly innovative. We're using soil. Yeah. And tell us a bit about that. What was, what was your behind, behind that? Because that's a, it's a very substantial commitment from Green Blue Urban. Tell us a little bit about the whole concept of Arbor Advance. Well, like you say, if, if you're providing the right conditions for a tree to thrive, you're replicating nature. There's absolutely no reason why a tree planted within our system shouldn't be, you know, 15 years plus, 20, 25. We want 50 year old trees and more. The trees that are a real asset in our big cities are 100 years old. I'm not saying that other trees aren't, but they are iconic. There's no reason why we can't have those in our future cities. So it's, it's about harnessing nature and, and utilising it. And you need a system, you need to protect nature. And that's what the soil cell system does and the Arbor Advance takes advantage of, if you like, is the fact we're bringing a protected environment into an urban space. A soil cell in itself does nothing for the tree. It protects the soil and the soil looks after the tree. So if we've got enough protected soil, Arbor Advance gives us the peace of mind that that tree is going to live to maturity. And we often get the arguments about the, the, the perceived lack of wisdom of burying plastic under the ground, that long term this is going to be a, a, a major problem for future generations. Now we're saying, but on the upside, you'll either be burying that in the ground in landfill, it's a recycled plastic, we only ever use a recycled below ground, or burning it. But what we're doing is we're burying it and we're using that to support a, a great tree. And long term that can be recycled again if it needs to be. But you say your thoughts on that. How, how do you meet that particular challenge? Mm. Yeah, well, you're, you're right that uh, we do get some pushback. People, it, it's what people perceive often is very high on their agenda that you're burying a plastic product in the ground. From our side, we'd say, we've, look, we've put a lot of care into the choice of material we use. It, yes, it looks just like a plastic, but it is recycled. It's recycled material that we're making it from, and it is recyclable at the end of its life. So it comes down to our understanding of the circular economy. And yes, we are, we're looking into alternatives, and we, we're quite excited by some new materials we're investigating at the moment, which give us a carbon neutral product below ground and I think that is a fantastic opportunity for us um, but for people who are worried about it I'd say 
just be restful. We have a completely inert product. It doesn't break down over time. It doesn't biodegrade or photodegrade. So you won't get plastic particles disappearing into the ground and becoming a pollution problem. You've got a product that you can recycle again. And it's made from recycled material. It's very difficult to find a material on this earth that gives you the same properties of strength, recyclability, and made from recycled material in the first place. So I think there's, there's quite a bit of hysteria possibly out there, and I understand it, and I'm very sympathetic with it. But I'd say to those people, just take a step back. Plastic is here, it's on the earth. Um, it's how we use it, it's what we do with it that is, is important. And the circular economy, I think, needs to be far higher in people's thinking. It's innovative use of materials, if you like, they're already there. It's very good. And, and, and thinking about that carbon footprint over the lifespan of the tree. And, and of course, much of our plastic pollution we find in our oceans actually comes from things like tyre wear. Mm. rather than from a breakdown of a product that's designed to be long-term under the ground. So, in many ways, Green Blue has moved, has widened, hasn't moved on beyond its original remit in terms of urban trees, but it's widened its scope in, to sustainable drainage, and then even wider now into smart space, how we use that public realm, street furniture, incorporating electric vehicle charging within tree pits, possible as you've mentioned air <coughs> remediation mm. this is this is fascinating yeah but how are we actually going to continue evolving the business where, where do you feel the business will will grow to in the next five years how wide a scope do you think we'll actually get to how broad will the product scope be that's a very interesting one because yes you're right we've introduced all sorts of you know like add-on products but we are still a tree-centric company, and I'd never want to lose that identity at Green Blue. Having said that, when people are looking at trees in urban space, they're not looking at trees in isolation. So for us, and this is where my team come in, and this is where I'm very, very thankful to have such an excellent team at Green Blue, because you've got a bank of ideas of persons that are going out speaking with the industry, people that are listening, as I mentioned earlier, and they're coming up with the ideas. It's not me anymore. This business isn't about me anymore. It's, it's about a team which is aligned to making urban space work with trees at its focus, but a wider spectrum of products coming into, into play, which is fantastic. I don't know how wide it will go, but I still, I, I still believe that we will keep trees at the centre of what we do. That's, that's, that's very interesting, because we've also been, this, this, this last year, we've been pushing very much harder the green walls. And do you see that there's a great opportunity for vertical facade greening? in our towns and cities. Yeah, yeah I do and, and I think that's really exciting because it's another way of cooling urban space. I just visited a project in Ostend where they've used the root space below ground to provide rooting volume for the climbing plants. So you've got, you can see the kind of interaction between the product technologies that we do and it gives you another option to bring the green into the urban area. It's the part of the green blue if you like. So the products that we've launched over this last few years, the Arborflow Suds Enabled Tree Pit, which saves a massive amount of space rather than having to have huge great tanks beneath ground or mm. big attenuation bonds. The Hydroplanter, the Modular Rain Garden, and the Hydroplanter Flex just behind you, which is, makes the whole idea of mm. a rain garden very simple and yet adaptable to work around the below ground utilities. Do you think that these products will help overcome the myth that suds are difficult to install, hard to design and expensive to maintain? Yeah, I, th I think you've summed it up well, Howard, that 
by providing these methods and products we're demystifying the process if you like um, systematizing it making it simple to install logical uh, to uh, the kind of plug and play technology we talk of don't we a little bit um, you can put a tree in with an arbor flow system you can put in a hydro planter arbor flow you can put in those systems and they will work they'll give you a given benefit for it for any dimension pit or uh, installation so what, you, what we're doing here, and this is what I see us developing further in the future, is an increased modularity and systems that support the designer in making sure they're appropriately sized, they've got good plant material and so on. That, that's really <coughs> interesting. And how we actually align that um, with the modelling, because there's a lot of questions about how green infrastructure really works with modelling and suds and mm. drainage. And, and we're in a we're in an emerging market, which in a way we've always been. If you're at a cutting edge of mm. of an industry, you're always pushing new ideas, which people are have to get used to. So, what we've been working in innovation has really kind of trying to do that, demystify it, de make it less complex to use. Mm. So I think that that's very interesting. Well, one of the current issues that there are globally is supply chain. How do you think we are going to overcome this? Because there's almost going to be no business in the world which is free of supply chain challenges with the issues that are out there. Say something about Green Blue's resilient to these global challenges. It's something we've worked very hard on and we're, yeah, we're not immune from the challenges that have faced the industry in recent times, particularly the last two years. The way we've tackled it is getting very close to our own suppliers and setting up those relationships so that it's beneficial to both of us. There's more visibility about what we're going to need and less reliance perhaps on single suppliers of different products. I think we've, we've got a good diverse supplier base that we work well with and I'd like to think work intelligently with. You know, we, we look after them and they look after us. So yes, there are going to be challenges. I, I can see that. We've, it's been manifest. But uh, there's definitely a way through for um, the business to thrive. And, and manufacturing here in the UK is a really strong benefit to us, minimising our reliance on the Far East and, and making GBU products in Great Britain mm. and making them, making them really suitable for the world. But setting up manufacturing plants in other countries for those markets so that they're not reliant on us either yes. and I think that's a you went to see one of those um, plants I think last week and that's a real big step isn't it yes yeah it's very important to sort of shorten that supply chain physically as much as you can and uh, as you know we, we produce our root space product on this very estate here um, in Bodium so we have a tremendous asset there but you you're also right that we have installed our, our machines to produce root space in North America, for example, so that we don't have to ship containers across the Atlantic, which doesn't do the environment any good. So it's very important. And so we've seen, you've seen projects, projects from the, the colds of Canada to the heat of Qatar. Mm. Um, and you've must have seen a massive, you must have seen thousands of different tree planting, green infrastructure and such projects in the last 30 years. What's your favorite project you've ever got involved with? I was hoping you wouldn't ask that because I don't have a favourite project. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I, I love them all. They're, they're, it's, there's nothing quite beats going back to a site and seeing healthy trees thriving. You know, if, if I had to pick one, 
the old Bailey. I really enjoy the trees, they, they're majestic now, the size of them. St Paul's is another. But this site's Diglis Basin. I could go the site in Qatar you mentioned. Um, absolutely brilliant site to visit and see trees going in the hottest of environment really doing well. Going back every year and checking oh, how they're growing. That, that would be a good idea, yeah. Well, thank you, Dean. Appreciate your vision. And whilst we wouldn't say we live for trees, we believe that trees actually exist to, in part, make our lives more enjoyable, pleasant, livable, and really increase the, 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 the quality of life for everyone who works, lives and plays within the vicinity. So thank you, Dean. Appreciate your time as the, uh, as the CEO and, and founder of the business, and really the visionary who saw that there was a market in urban tree planting solutions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Howard.